Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So in the midst of a weekend where everybody was, I think, pretty transfixed by what they saw from the NFL, and we'll even do a little bit of this on our show coming up in a moment, we were all kind of fixated on these great divisional round playoff games. There last night, in the midst of all of this, some pretty big news in the college football front involving Georgia in particular kind of shows up where Jermaine Burton announces that he is now moving on to the University of Alabama. For those of you on video, I'll show you the Burton announcement on Instagram here where you know he talks about Tuscaloosa, Alabama, gave you the hashtag uh, RTR, which obviously stands for a Roll Tide Roll. So Jermaine Burton on his way to Tuscaloosa to play for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And I think that this is obviously a big conversation among UGA fans because Burton's a good player and he is now going to help the team that Georgia just beat in the national championship game. This is going to get a lot of attention from a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And in observing the conversation here over the course of not quite 24 hours, but we're coming up on 24 hours that Georgia fans have talked about this, in kind of observing all of this, I think there are a handful of things that UGA fans, I believe, maybe college football fans at large, but certainly UGA fans are misunderstanding about all of this and I want to address a few of these points here right now just for a moment let me start with this that primarily the overwhelming majority of the folks who watch a show like this or listen to a show like this kind of view college football as a form of entertainment and though the way in which they get entertainment from college football is by watching the competition Georgia trying to beat other teams and trying to stay on top of the college football world that is primarily the the mechanism by which they get entertainment from college football and so in the immediate aftermath of Burton going to play for Georgia's arch nemesis not its biggest rival that's Florida I don't know that I think of Georgia Alabama's true rivals I think of Alabama as more of a nemesis to the program but when Burton goes and plays for Alabama the immediate reaction by a lot of Georgia fans to that is negative including myself there as well now hopefully none of those people are trashing Burton or saying anything unfair making it too personal or anything like that but it's just natural there's going to be a level of dissatisfaction about Burton going to be on the team that that Georgia just beat and the response to some of that's going to be well you got to understand you know Jermaine Burton's just trying to do what's best for him he's just trying to think about his NFL future blah 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 And my response back to that would be, well, no, I don't have to do anything, nor does any other Georgia fan have to do that either. That ultimately college football is still a sport about the name on the front of the jersey meaning more and mattering more than the name on the back of the jersey. As cliche as that sounds, that remains incredibly true here. Furthermore, to kind of, you know, not put too fine of a point on this, but just to kind of expand out on it a little bit. But the moment college football becomes primarily about a vehicle for guys like Burton to improve their NFL future, the moment that college football comes, becomes primarily viewed as a true feeder system for the NFL, at that point in time, that is when the, the popularity of college football do, does truly start to subside. That's when it does truly start to diminish. Now you'll say, well, B.A., how do you know that? Because minor league sports aren't popular anywhere. There is an NBA G League. Have you ever watched one of those games? My guess is you probably have. There's even, a, I think, a G League team of some sort that even plays here in Atlanta. But for the most part, they just get completely ignored because minor league basketball is not the kind of thing that people really care about. Same thing for minor league baseball. We've all kind of grown up in the South with minor league teams, Birmingham Barons, wherever else, wherever you might happen to live. But as a business model, 
minor league baseball is contracting. There are several hundred fewer minor league teams now and, and than there used to be just a few years ago. Major league baseball is still incredibly popular, but the next generation of major league players playing at the minor league level, it's not very popular at all right now. In fact, it's kind of a struggling business. In some cases, it's even a failed business, just given the fact there are fewer minor league teams than there used to be. You can say the same thing about, like, say, Corn Ferry Tour and Golf and all the other things you want to talk about there is – there is just not much of an appetite for elite talent playing at the minor league level. The only way this seems to work in football, because by the way, we've also tried a bunch of football leagues too, uh, USFL or uh, what is the you know World League, all these you know the one that played uh, at, at the Old Turner Field a couple years ago. All of these so-called like minor league teams, uh, spring football leagues, they can't even really get through a season because ultimately even for a sport like football that everybody loves, there's just not a lot of market, not a lot of business to be built around the idea of minor league football. That college football works not because it's the next generation of NFL players, but because it's the next generation of NFL players wearing the uniforms of universities that people graduated from or states that people hail from. And ultimately, as I said before, it's not too trite to say that in college football, the name on the front of the jersey matters more than the name on the back. And so Georgia fans that are disappointed, a little bit uh, frustrated that a guy like Burton would leave Georgia to go play for what they view in their mind the enemy that is just a natural response to all of this and then you kind of get to this this whole notion of well be all of this is just some sort of rebuke of what georgia is as a passing attack that all of this is just somehow a reminder that that kirby smart he may win a national championship and it's weird that people diminish that he may have won a national championship but when it comes to offensive football he's got to get with the program he's got to understand what guys like jermaine burton want and kirby smart's got to try to find some way to serve guys like burton at all costs this was even kind of foreshadowed a little bit going back to Friday's show. Do you remember the, the the Mississippi TV reporter who had, you know, kind of tried to connect the dots between Lane Kiffin being in Athens and Jermaine Burton and JT Daniels being in the transfer portal? We'll show you that on the screen again, if you may have forgotten. We told you at the time this had all the markings of fake news, and turns out it probably was. Uh, actually, definitely is. The idea that Daniels and Burton are some sort of package deal together. They were all going to Ole Miss. We told you on Friday it was a fair easy news report to uh, dismiss and I think most of you did but it still kind of conjured up this whole thing of somehow the Daniels thing the Burton thing being connected and you know they're going to go play together and listen I won't dispute the idea that everything I'm led to believe Burton would have rather played with JT Daniels as a quarterback I, I won't I won't I won't dispute that here that may have been what he wanted However, the one thing I will dispute is the idea, well, then Georgia should have done that if that's what receivers like like Jermaine Burton want. That's one of the things I will dispute here a little bit because the actual facts of the situation for Georgia and its place in college football compared to all of this stuff with wide receivers, I still think is just kind of in- incredibly misunderstood here. The notion that somehow Jermaine Burton would have had a lot better season had JT Daniels been at quarterback and somehow Georgia could have improved upon winning the national championship somehow as well if it was the kind of team that focused more on wide receiver play and some of the gaudy stats that a program like Alabama has admittedly gotten really good at producing, that somehow things would have been better for Georgia if that was true. And I just don't think the numbers kind of bear that out very well. In fact, let me kind of give you this that if you look at the two games this year 
in which uh, JT Daniels played in and threw the ball the most. The Clemson game, the South Carolina game. In 2021, those were games in which uh, uh, JT Daniels exceeded 30 passing attempts. That was sort of the most of JT Daniels we saw all year long. You know, the idea was, well, in a situation like that, that's where Jermaine Burton's going to thrive. But the honest truth is, even in those games, even when Georgia had JT Daniels at quarterback, even when Georgia was was throwing the ball more than it did once Daniels went to the bench and Stetson Bennett started playing, Daniels was still throwing to Brock Bowers more than he was throwing to Jermaine Burton. You know, this whole idea that Georgia's fixation on Brock Bowers was somehow because Stetson Bennett was a deficient quarterback and that was the only guy somehow Bennett could throw to. In the Clemson game, Jermaine Burton only had two catches. Brock Bowers had six. In the South Carolina game, Burton only had three catches. Brock Bowers had five. That even JT Daniels was throwing the ball more to Brock Bowers than he was to Jermaine Burton because, let's just be adults here for a moment, Jermaine Burton is not as good a player as Brock Bowers is. So the idea that somehow, you know, Burton should be getting Brock Bowers-type productivity, Brock Bowers-type touches, if he was as good as Brock Bowers, he would be, but Jermaine Burton's just not as good as Brock Bowers, and nobody should think that he is. Even JT Daniels was throwing more to Bowers than he's throwing to Burton. And then furthermore, beyond that, you know, this whole idea of, well, you know, Daniels and Burton would have been better for George all the way around, that a that an offense that passes the ball more, the kind of thing where a, a Burton could thrive, somehow that would be better for George all the way around. You know, once again, I don't know that the numbers actually argue for that as much as some people think they would. We already showed you a moment ago that that more of JT Daniels did not necessarily mean more of Burton. Now, he did have the big game against Mississippi State in 2020. Nobody can dispute that. But in the 2021 season, when Brock Bowers was also an option, Daniels threw more to Bowers there as well. But if you want to look at those two games from this season, the South Carolina game, the the Clemson game. If you want to go back and look at the two games from a year ago, which Daniels also exceeded 30 passing attempts, the sort of record-setting day against Mississippi State, the bowl game against Cincinnati. These were games in which, indisputably, Georgia threw the ball more than they typically throw with Stetson Bennett. But here's one of the points that I just don't quite know that people have fully appreciated as much as they probably should. That when Georgia has thrown the ball more, and that's usually been games which JT Daniels played. When Georgia has thrown the ball more, they have not necessarily scored more points for doing so. In the four games in which JT Daniels, in his Georgia career, had 30 or more passing attempts, do you know that Georgia only averaged 26 points per game in those four contests? It's 31 against uh, Mississippi State. It's 24 against Cincinnati. It's 10 against Clemson, although the touchdown was a defensive score, we'll still count it. It's 10 against Clemson, and then it was 40 against South Carolina. In you know, so basically of the four games in which Daniels had 30 or more passing attempts, Georgia only exceeded 30 points in two of those games, only averaged 26 points over the course of the four. That there is no doubt that Georgia threw the ball more when JT Daniels was quarterback, and guys like Jermaine Burton did seem to enjoy that better. But if we stipulate for a moment that that what's best for Georgia is what's best, the actual data does not necessarily suggest that throwing the ball more was going to serve Georgia very well. If anything, the average offensive output actually went down the more that Georgia threw the football. And then beyond that, there's this. Let's make the comparison now to what's happening there at the University of Alabama. Because the one thing that cannot be argued with, uh, I'll, I'll be happy to concede this point, that Alabama has become a far better passing team than Georgia has. 
far better passing team than Georgia has. Uh, Bryce Young right now, Mac Jones the year before that, Tua Tungvaluwa the year before that. That in the last like say four years, Alabama has unlocked a, a level of passing achievement that Georgia has not come close to matching. Now, I do believe that Georgia's trying a little harder than some of y'all assume to kind of get there, but the truth is the gap between Georgia and Alabama when it comes to throwing the football is a very wide chasm. It, it, it just is. And Nick Saban, every time he gets a chance to pat himself on the back for that, boy, he is so proud to, to be able to do that. I've played this audio for you before, but let me go back and kind of give it to you again. You know, this whole notion that Nick Saban thinks he's some sort of genius because he figured out that football was evolving and that anybody else that didn't notice that to the degree that he did is just simply not as smart as he is. Let's go back to the beginning of last year where Nick Saban really drove home this point. You've heard this before, but let's use it as a reminder. The game is different now. People score fast. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense, you run the ball, you control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything now doing that. Because A, the way the spread is, the way the rules are to run RPOs, the way the rules are that you can block downfield and throw the ball behind the last scrimmage. I mean, those rules have changed college football. And no huddle fastball has changed college football. So I changed my philosophy about five or six years ago. I, and well, it was more than that. When Lane came here, we said we got to outscore him. So listen, Nick Saban obviously pats himself on the back because he thinks he unlocked some sort of secret to college football. But I do not think it has been fully appreciated just how wrong what Nick Saban said has turned out to be. And a lot of you who are frankly worried that a guy like Burton would leave Georgia go to Alabama because it's a better passing team a lot of you I don't think have fully appreciated just how incorrect Saban's assessment of the sport is right there and some of you if you had your way if you were Kirby Smart's boss you would tell him you got to listen to Saban right there you've got to change to become more like Alabama because Nick Saban's figured this college football thing out because guys like Jermaine Burton want to be at Alabama instead of being at a place like Georgia But let me just give you a number here that kind of explains just how wrong all of this is. And frankly, I'm not even quite so sure Nick Saban realizes just how much he overestimated the degree to which college football has kind of changed. Let's go back and look at the period. I'm going to read off a couple of notes here for a second. From 2009 to 2017, that is a nine-year period. Over over the course of that nine-year period, from 2009 to 2017, Alabama won more than half of the national championships. They won five of the nine titles over the course of that span, 2009, 2011, 2012, 2015, and 2017. Over the course of those nine years, Alabama averaged 36 points per game. Now, in 2018, Alabama exceeded 40-plus points per game for the first time, and they've essentially been at or better than 40-plus points per game per season over the course of the last four years. From 2018 through 2021, Alabama has averaged 45 points per game. But in the four years in which Alabama has been averaging 45 points per game, they've only won one national championship. This number is hiding in plain sight for everybody to see. That the Bama team that was scoring 36 points per game was winning national championships more than half the time. The Bama team that's scoring 45 points per game has won one of the last four national championships. Frankly, when you look over the course of that four-year span, they've won the same number of national championships that Georgia has. You know, this idea that Alabama as a program has some sort of 
uh, insurmountable lead over UGA as a program. End of season results right now don't necessarily suggest that's true. They've each won the same number of national championships over the course of the last four years, including Georgia now as the reigning national champion in this sport. Now, if you look at what has beaten Alabama in two of those four, obviously Georgia this past year, other than that, it's Trevor Lawrence, future number one overall pick. It's Joe Burrow, future number one overall pick. And you'll come back and say, well, B.A., that just goes to show you, you got to have a future number one overall pick as your quarterback. And I would respond to you back there by saying, that's a little bit like saying you've got to depend on winning the lottery as a part of your retirement plan. That, of course, you'd like to have the number one overall uh, draft pick at quarterback playing for your team. But, frankly, I'd be embarrassed you know, to hear people say what I used to say about a guy like, say, Josh Allen, who's the quarterback for the Buffalo Bills now. And you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes, what he's doing there uh, you know, at uh, Kansas City was at least somewhat unpredictable for some people there as well. No one would have, furthermore, known that Joe Burrow had the look of a future NFL draft you know number one overall pick when he was riding the pine sitting on the bench at a place like Ohio State that identifying the future number one overall draft pick is simply not as easy as you might think so your recipe for success has got to be about more than that it's got to be about the kind of thing that that Kirby Smart's cultivated here at UGA now all of this is not said to somehow dismiss the notion that Georgia needs to be as good at wide receiver as it is at all the other position groups there as well. Eventually that'd be nice. But there are a lot of people who seem to think that Alabama is better at Georgia just because in their mind Georgia's not playing as entertaining a brand of football as what Alabama's playing. I think the actual overall numbers scream just how untrue that really is. That Alabama's embrace of as Nick Saban calls it, fastball offense, has actually caused Alabama to win less at the national championship level than it was before. And other teams who are really good at this, like Ohio State and Oklahoma, they're not sniffing national championships at all. So you can be more like Alabama. You can be more fun to watch for the Instagram highlight crowd, and you can be more attractive for wide receivers. But that's not necessarily going to make you better on the field. But the recipe for winning I would say right now actually rest a little bit more with what Kirby Smart did at UGA this year. That that it's still a sport about 22 players, 11 on offense, 11 on defense. It's about playing complementary football on both sides of the ball. That's actually the recipe for, for national championship success that worked for Georgia this year. That making the entirety of your program about throwing and catching the football to the point where your defense suffers and your running game suffers and everything else suffers. For Alabama, over the course of the last four years, if you're truly paying that close of attention, that's not working out quite as well as you might think. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good morning to you, uh, and thanks for being with us. Of course, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Glad to have you with us, uh, whether it's 945 on our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, and Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref, and available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous dognation.com. Just really happy to have you with us, and really grateful to Pella Window and Door of George for making it all possible. You know, they're your source for energy-efficient windows and doors, and what that means is it has been freezing cold the last few days, especially at night, like down in the 20s, and obviously that means a lot of you kind of cranking up that heat, and you're kind of getting that going inside the house, and it's important. You want to keep that energy where it's supposed to be. Heat, after all, I mean, I don't know that there's ever, ever been a time where that's more expensive than it is right now. And so if you've got that big, expensive heating bill and you've got, you know, that 
energy escaping out of your house because you've got you know proper improperly sealed windows and doors just inefficient windows and doors that's a disaster right so you want to trust Pella window and door of Georgia because not only does the product look great on the outside improves the curb appeal of your home which could improve the resale value but also makes your home feel better on the inside because the energy the heat staying where it needs to be can help out with your bills and everything else and just kind of make you feel like you're just living a more efficient life all the way around that's when we love Pella window and door of Georgia also according to a 2020 survey did you know that uh among leading window brands Pella was actually the most preferred window brand by homeowners in the Atlanta area so folks know this brand they know its value they know what it represents what it stands for they know the hard work that goes to satisfy those who choose Pella window and door of Georgia another reason why we're proud to recommend them around here so please make sure you check them out. Also, big savings. Between now and March 3rd, you can get 10% off your entire project or no payments, no interest for 12 months. All of that is really, really good. So a couple of ways to get in touch. How about online? PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. We're going to get John Stinch home here coming up in a moment. We'll talk to him about the decision of Jermaine Burton leaving Bama, going to Georgia. Before that, I want to squeeze in and around the doghouse, assisted today by AAA. Now, I talked about this a moment ago, that, or at least I alluded to this a moment ago, that last night watching the divisional round game between Buffalo and Kansas City, we're not really an NFL show here, but everybody was watching this game last night. It is quite possibly the best NFL game I've ever seen. Uh, and that's not exaggerating. Many of you feel the same way. Our producer, Michael Carvel, says he does there as well. It's kind of funny. It's so good that it completely obscures the game before that, which Tom Brady led his team back from 27-3 to tie the game, then to lose at the very end. And today, almost everyone will be talking about Buffalo-Kansas City, even though the the Tampa-LA game was remarkable in its own right. That's how good that it was. But as I was watching that game conclude last night, and as, as it ended, there was a narrative I was pretty sure was going to emerge from all of that, which I thought was going to be incorrect. And Things are pretty much playing out exactly as I assume they would. Let me show you this tweet on the screen as an example of this. Stuart Mandel, uh, national college football writer, and weighing in on the actions of last night between Kansas City and Buffalo, here's what Stuart says on Twitter. This representative of a handful of other folks' thoughts. Stuart says, my goodness, NFL football got way more exciting when it went full Big 12. In other words, what you saw last night, especially at the end with Mahomes and Allen going back and forth against each other, that was the kind of thing we've kind of come to expect from, like, say, the Big 12, one of these, you know, pillow fight, seven-on-seven style college football games, you know, very little defense, it seemed, at the end of that Kansas City-Buffalo game. And listen, there is no doubt the duel between Allen and Mahomes was as good a battle in a short window like that as I've ever seen between two quarterbacks. It was fairly obvious that whichever quarterback had the ball in his hand was going to lead a scoring drive. It's one of the reasons why people get so frustrated about the fact that Buffalo loses the coin flip then doesn't get the ball in overtime because it was pretty obvious that if Allen had it in his hand, he was going to lead a scoring drive as he had been at the end of regulation there. There's just no doubt those two quarterbacks played phenomenal. But there were four games played this weekend. And the one thing that people should not lose sight of is while the Mahomes-Allen battle will be the most memorable, that is not necessarily what the sum total of this weekend was. If anything, prior to Mahomes and Allen, the through line for the other three games was really the way in which quarterbacks were trying to handle the dominant pass rush that was coming their way. 
How many times did Joe Burrow get sacked in uh, Nashville? Like nine times, ultimately. I believe that's a playoff record. Uh, ultimately, uh, uh, Cincinnati wins the game, but deficiencies along the Bengals' offensive line was the story of that game. And, you know, obviously Tennessee couldn't, you know, uh, manage the opportunity created by that. But pass rush was the story of, of Bengals Titans. You know, the same thing for, like, say, Rams and Bucks. Ultimately, it's a 27 3 lead for LA that gets squandered. But the reason why the Rams ultimately won the game was certainly aided in part by the fact that they were at one point in time up 27 3. They get off to a fast start. Uh, Tampa Bay does not. It's the pass rush of guys like, you know, say Von Miller and, and, and the rest of that crew for uh, the, the Rams that obviously create the opportunity that uh, holds the Tampa Bay offense at bay and then you know, gives them a chance to ultimately hold on for the win. Matthew Stafford deservedly is going to get a lot of the credit for the end-of-game performance, but it was actually the performance of the Rams' defense that set the tone that leads to the to the Tampa victory. Uh, you'll say the same thing about San Francisco going on the road and knocking off uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. The performance of the 49ers' defense is what makes that possible. So let's not get obscured here in terms of what actually mattered in football this weekend. Mahomes versus Allen was the best show. And if you've got a Mahomes at quarterback or if you've got an Allen at quarterback, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. But frankly, it's not always easy to predict who's going to become the Mahomes, who's going to become the Allen. As I said a moment ago, there are a lot of people who incorrectly predicted those guys' future there at the time. That even at the NFL level, defense still matters. And frankly, it matters a lot because for as good as Mahomes was last night in leading the Chiefs to victory, he also got you know bludgeoned in the Super Bowl a year ago, and that's why Tampa won and Kansas City lost. And obviously the... The carryover back to the college football game is very important here. In fact, the way in which people get so fixated on the Mahomes-Allen battle at the expense of really paying attention to what truly mattered in the NFL this week, and the same thing happens in college football there as well, people have a tendency just to have a huge bias in favor of offense. They just sort of like the Alabama style better, and they think that's what everyone should adopt, even though what Georgia did this year worked better for it than what Alabama has had going for it the, uh, you know, for most of the last four years there as well. Very interesting to watch that play out. A narrative that's not as much supported by facts as some people might think. That is Around the Doghouse, and it is assisted today by our friends at AAA. Of course, you can find AAA for legendary roadside assistance, even helping you save money on hotel rooms, things like that. My family, we always lean on AAA for that. But I also want you to know AAA as well when it comes to your auto insurance. As I said before, it seems like bills, things like that are just more expensive than they've ever been. So anything you can do to save money, put more money back in your pocket, it's the kind of thing that you should do. That's why I want you to consider AAA for your auto insurance. When you go to the website, uh, AAA.com slash auto insurance, that's AAA.com slash auto insurance. When you take a look at there, you're going to find out all the ways in which you can switch and save with AAA and the fact that it has a very good chance of putting hundreds of dollars back in your pocket for doing so. That's money that matters. And in this day and age, everything you can do to put more money in your pocket is something that you should do. So think about AAA.com slash auto insurance for all that. You can also dial this phone number there, too. It's 866-380-1637. That's 866-380-1637. AAA presenting Around the Doghouse to us here today, also saving you money when it comes to your auto insurance. So we're not done on the subject of Georgia and its wide receivers. We'll talk more about that coming up in a moment about kind of what's left for Georgia, the wide receiver spot, how you move on from that. Also, Jermaine Burton was not the only former dog to announce a transfer home over the course of the weekend. Another guy staying in the SEC. We will tell you about that there as well. But for the moment, 
on everything that's kind of going on here with what it means that Burton leaves Georgia, go to the team that Georgia just beat for the national championship, the landscape of college football, how all of this is being impacted by transfer portal and the just continued battle between Kirby and Saban to be on top of the college football world. Let's cover all of that right now with John Stinchcomb as a part of a classic city logger insider update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Let's say hello to John Stinchcomb, Classic City Lager Insider Update. John, you know, I'm curious of your opinion on all of this. Obviously a big news day when Jermaine Burton, you know, he'd already announced his intentions to uh, enter the transfer portal last week, but now we know he's going to Alabama. This is Georgia's arch nemesis. This is the team that Georgia just beat for a national championship after striving for years to get to that point what's your immediate reaction when you hear that burton's going to go play for the other guy well i it makes sense for burton i mean you look at the history of transfer wide receivers and and the prolific offense that alabama ha- has with bryce young and the ability to get the ball downfield uh you look at the transfer from jameson williams last year from ohio state um and the opportunities that he found in alabama and you can draw some strong correlations as to why uh, Burton wants to transfer to Alabama. It's a a storied program, still at the top of the heap, and um, I think what fans have to recognize is this is the nature of college football now, and like it or not, NILs and and transfer portals have changed the game. There is free agency in college sports, and players are looking for – the best opportunities uh, for their individual success. And you, you look at Jermaine and you realize that at Georgia, he had, you know, you're, he's coming back as arguably the number one wide receiver on the roster. Um, he was going to get, uh, the, I would think, the lion's share of the, the touches to wide receivers outside of a, a tight end but yet still wanted to see uh, seek greener pastures. And uh, I think that's what college football has become, whether you like it or not, whether the intentions of the transfer portal uh, were for this type scenario to play out. It is what it is. And Georgia is going to get their players as well. What is there, 1,500-plus players in the transfer portal? Um, and, and you're going to see guys just – it's musical chairs right now. They're going to pick and choose the opportunities that fit them best. And um, right now, uh, Georgia has seen more walk out of the door than, than walk in this, this year. But I think we're pretty appreciative for guys like Kendrick that uh, found a home in, in Athens this past season and what a difference he made. So we're going to win some, we're going to lose some, and today we lost a good one. So let me kind of walk through a lot of these issues because I think you're raising a couple of very good points. Let me start with this, and you touched on this. Clearly, Alabama's a better passing team than Georgia's. There's zero dispute about that. The numbers speak for themselves about how prolific Alabama has become as a passing attack. They do very closely resemble like a lot of what we used to think of as sort of Big 12 football. But, John, the one point I'm trying to hammer home is is that for the Georgia fan who thinks that's the problem, that somehow Alabama has exceeded Georgia as a passing team – it is not obvious in the years in which Alabama has kind of taken this step forward, throwing the football, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, it is not obvious that they are winning more because of the change that they have made. Furthermore, had Georgia thrown the ball more this year 
it's not obvious they would be reigning national champion. That that somehow, you know, Alabama's become the superior passing team, but at least for 2021, that has not made it a superior team in comparison to Georgia. And somehow I think some of that is getting lost in all of this. <laughs> well, you're talking about two different issues. You're talking about, one, what's, what's good for me uh, as an individual. So as, as a wide receiver, will my stats look better? Uh, could I have gaudier numbers when we throw the ball around more? Yeah, absolutely. Does that translate into wins? No, absolutely not. There's, there's not a direct corollary there. Uh, I think you have to be able to score points. I think that's a, that's a given in the way the game is played this year, especially in big-time matchups. But if Georgia 2021 version proves anything, that defense is important. I, I heard the piece right before I hopped on the air of the difference a, a pass rush makes. And um, impacting a passer is, I would say, equally as important as not having busts on the back end. I mean, despite, you look at Cincinnati game, and despite having nine sacks, allowing nine sacks, uh, the back end is, is where the issue was. And, you know, there's a lot of big plays made in that game, along with some others. I mean, you mentioned the, the Mahomes-Allen matchup, and without a prevent defense that allows a Travis Kelsey to, to run down the field unabated and put them in field goal range to send the game into overtime, those type plays don't happen. So, yes, you, you, uh, you want to be able to put up numbers and score offensively, and that's good for your team, but defense most certainly is not dead. And uh, I think this Georgia team um, is your case in point for that, that uh, good defense, solid defense is is still very much alive and needed in this sport and it's not there's only one recipe for success uh georgia's recipe was not we're going to put up gaudy numbers it's we're going to prevent you from doing what you want to do offensively and and complement that with a balanced attack Uh, it wasn't solely run game this it wasn't the 1980s version of georgia football um there there was a uh, a wide variety of ways that Georgia's offense attacked a defense um, in ways that we haven't seen in, in recent history. Uh, but it's still a play-action, uh, balanced run approach that that is complemented by an aerial attack from, from Georgia's offense. So as far as the idea now of just a player transferring from one team to the other, let's talk about the impact of the transfer portal on the sport right now. This is obviously very new for college football, but it's really not that new for sports in general. For instance, going back to a time when you and I were kids, John, in the 1990s, Deion Sanders won a Super Bowl for San Francisco, beating Dallas in the NFC title game. Then the next year went to Dallas and beat San Francisco in the title game. He essentially flipped teams and flipped the championship by doing so. And the NFL's popularity didn't suffer because of that. I'm willing to admit all of that, to the notion of professional athletes changing teams has been the kind of thing that you and I have lived with for the entirety of our uh, lifetime, including going to rivals and going to you know competitors and everything else. So when it comes to the way in which the transfer portal in particular is impacting this competition that's ongoing between Georgia and Alabama, now that a big-time Georgia player is going to be playing for Alabama, tell me a little bit more about your thoughts about that part of this in particular. Well, I, I can't wait to see how this continues to evolve. Holy cow, I'm watching a coyote run across my yard. You oh my don't gosh. see this every day, PA. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I thought they were nocturnal. My dog, I thought I'm, they were nocturnal animals. Actually, that's kind of scary. I thought they were nocturnal. That is. Well, nope. This one's just jogging right across. 
<laughs> How about that? Well, please be careful. Uh, totally off topic. Forgive me, B.A. That, no worries. That, that is wild. Um, I don't even know where we were. Oh, so the difference is, uh, and what we'll have to see and how this plays out in college is uh, in the NFL there's free agency, and there's also some commitment and buy-in yeah. uh, that a player makes back to their team. I mean, they're locked in for at least a, a certain amount of time because there's a contract. Right now that doesn't exist. Right now there is no contract um, that that a player has to honor with their school. If they want to transfer after a year, after two years, after three, it does not matter. They can do that freely once. Now they have to have the talent to um, be considered to, to be added to that roster for whatever team they're going to, but – uh, you know, we're talking about in this specific conversation. We're talking about players with the ability uh, that most teams would want. That you know, you put your name in the portal, and now you've got the opportunity to be a free agent and and have coaches from from Ole Miss fly into town uh, to recruit you <laughs> again. Yeah. And and that's that's the big uh, difference between. NFL free agency and what we're seeing in college sports is the the powers have shifted and it's solely on I'll say exclusively almost on the side of the player where I can get paid like I'm a professional athlete I can pick and choose which team I want to go to in ways that you could not do as a professional athlete so um I'll be really interested to see what these next steps are and how you go about addressing um, the fact that th- there's an imbalance. We have created an imbalance with NILs and transfer portals where you know you're going to see these pooling of, of really talented players. And you know, I read an article about um, uh, what was it Lincoln Riley when he goes to USC? What would prevent him from? cherry-picking and pulling his entire team from Oklahoma, or at least the guys that would be uh, that you'd want, and, and having them transfer to USC. I mean, it, it, it's not without merit that that would be a possibility that probably wasn't considered when we, when we first considered this uh, transfer portal and what it might provide for players. But it's something that, that would certainly be a factor and uh, a, a possibility that might even be realized in the near future. Yeah, Nick Saban kind of alluded to this in the joint press conference he did with Kirby Smart before the national championship game that, you know, and I'm going to paraphrase what Saban said here, and we'll probably get more into this topic, obviously, over the course of the offseason, but essentially you leverage NIL to, to, you know, try to reform the transfer portal stuff a little bit because ultimately I don't really think coaches are bothered that much by NIL. I really don't. I think that, I mean, some maybe embrace it more than others, but ultimately – I think the thing that is ruining the sport right now is actually to the, uh, that's probably overstating things a bit, but the, the biggest problem for the sport right now is not NIL, it's transfer portal. And, and maybe maybe you do you know leverage some of the revenue opportunities for players to also kind of put some contractual boundaries around the idea of you know you come here, we're going to ask for this commitment for X number of years, whether it's two years or three years or whatever else that there has to be some sort of sanity kind of pumped back into the system a little bit because right now there's just simply not enough of it. Well, I think Saban, <laughs> yeah, he's warned us. He's warned the, yeah. really the rest of college football and college athletics and said, 
this isn't what you want. This isn't good for players. It's not good for our sport. Now, if you allow it, I'm going to do it better than anybody else. Now, I, I don't think you should. I don't think it's good for us. But if this is going to happen, then, my God, we're going to do it really well. And they have. And what you see is, is you know, guys like Jamison Williams and Jermaine Burton that you can pull from, from other programs um, and put on your roster. And is that good for sports? I don't think so. Is that good for, for other programs? Nope. But, but I mean, I don't blame in the least Nick Saban. He has said before the, the transfer portal was allowed and since it's allowed, ah, this isn't good. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna allow it, we're going to maximize it. And they have. I mean, the, the ability for programs and not just those that are on staff, but you know, Texas A&M is a great case study where they're open, openly saying we've committed $25-plus plus million to make sure we have the players that we want here. Um, and then, and then you, you look at the Alabamas where you can transfer guys in. It's totally changed the game. What, what's the importance of a scholarship of, well, you know, what's the annual value of that, $25,000? Well, if I can get you an NIL deal that exceeds that amount, do I even need to have you on scholarship? Can I expand my roster from 85 guys on scholarship, or can it be 100? Can I have 100, 100 players uh, to pull from because, you know, you may be a preferred walk-on, but you might get even more than a guy that signed a scholarship. So, you know, the, the landscape of college athletics primarily – college football is so different and and is evolving into a space that no one knows how to manage right now um and and other shoes are going to have to drop i don't think this is a sustainable model it doesn't make sense i think there's going to be frustration on fans parts and and school parts as well that they they've invested in these kids you bring them to campus which you know requires uh, a commitment from the school to make them uh, a part of, uh, you know, your campus, your program, and they can freely leave at, at any given moment, uh, despite the investment that you've made. And you know, for fans, they're going, ah, this just doesn't feel right. I, I want to commit to my team, and I want the guys on it to commit back to it. And that that uh, certainly doesn't exist at the level that we've grown accustomed to. And you know, we're going to have to evolve as fans as well. But um, I think there's other 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 shoes that need to drop for this this whole dynamic to make sense. We're squeezing one final question for you a minute, John. Let me remind folks before that, though, this is our Classic City Log, our insider update with John Stinchcomb. And, of course, some things in college football get more complicated seemingly by the day. That's why when we can enjoy simple things, that's what I want to lean into and do. And this weekend I had myself some Classic City Loggers. I was watching some of those pro football games. I know many of you did the same thing because it's just good cold beer, nice and simple, easy as that, good cold beer. It's a lager-style beer, lighter in color, but, listen, no sacrifice on flavor it's the kind of craft style lager frankly you would expect from a brewery like creature comforts brewing company and we were in athens a couple of weeks ago had a chance to enjoy some there i took some home with me when we were at the creature comforts uh, brew house there in uh, downtown athens but you don't have to be in athens to get it wherever you're doing your shopping 
This is one of those craft uh, lagers that's available all year long. Wherever you're doing your shopping, you can pick it up. Six and 12-pack cans. The can feels so good and cold in your hand. Looks good. It's just a really great experience. So check out some classic city lager from Creature Comforts Brewing Company today. It is just good cold beer. So, John, all of this is now to kind of lead us to this point, which is while I may kind of roll my eyes at people who think that you know, somehow Georgia's deficient because it's not playing Big 12 football the way the other teams are. The fact of the matter is it would be nice if Georgia raised the level of performance from its wide receiver room a bit to match a little bit more of what's you know happening for some of the, uh, for some of the other position groups. You saw a big-time pass-catching target emerge this year in Brock Bowers and finding someone to kind of replicate that from the wide receiver room, at least come close to that. I I do think it's pretty important later on in the show. I'm going to kind of talk about some of the guys I think that might be, but I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, okay, finding somebody to really emerge from that wide receiver room is an important task for Georgia in 2022. Had Burton stayed, he'd have a chance to be that guy. Figuring out who it can be is a pretty important offseason task for Georgia. Yes, and you look at the way Georgia deployed their receivers this year and really in recent history, especially under Munkin, um, they're going to rotate a number of guys through. It's not going to be three guys you see consistently all game long. I just think of the personnel groupings um, that we saw this year where you know, it would be A.D. Mitchell and McConkey and uh, you know uh, Bowers and Darnell and Fitzpatrick, and all of a sudden you've – rolled in, you know, Jermaine Burton and Pickens towards the end of the year once he got healthy. It's it's going to be a platoon of of wide receivers. With that said, you gotta have guys that you trust and, and that you can believe in once they get out there um, that can make plays. You you don't want defenses keying in on Brock Bowers because he's on everyone's radar at this point. And the more weapons that you can have, especially uh, to stretch a field and, and, and create both horizontal and vertical separation and opportunities for one another, um, that's, a, that's a necessity. And we've had, we had that this year in, in ways that I don't think people or anyone expected Bowers to, to come in and play the way he did. And it drew some attention away uh, from some of the other receivers. And now the question is, heading into this season, this 2022 season, who are those guys? Obviously, A.D. Mitchell is, is uh, able to make big-time plays and big-time moments, um, and now it's a, a matter of consistency for him and, and a healthy Don Blaylock. And uh, There's a number of guys in that position group room that you think have the potential to, to kind of step up and answer that call, um, but it's you know time will tell as to, to which guys really – shift through and come to the forefront. John, great stuff. Thank you for being here as part of our Classic City Logger Insider Update today. Your insight's always very valuable for us. Hope you have a, a great week. Be careful with those coyotes out there, and uh, we'll look oh, at this. Oh, man, that kind of shook me up a little bit, B.A., no doubt. No I'm doubt about that. I'm with my dog and watch a coyote run across the yard. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Well, you, you be careful, and uh, I guess say hello to the Roadrunner for us, too, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. <laughs> Will do. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, we'll talk more about the wide receiver situation in general for Georgia kind of coming up in a moment about what needs to happen for that group here in uh, 2022. Before that, though, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of our friends 
obviously at Royal Caribbean. We love what Royal Caribbean does for us here around here. Getting ready for a great year in 2022 on those seas with those Royal Caribbean cruise ships. Always uh, fun stuff. Uh, obviously, whether it be Perfect Day Coco Cay, that private island right there in the Bahamas. Uh, I know my wife's excited about being on a Royal Caribbean cruise there as well. She was kind of playing around the internet the other day looking at all the cool stuff that uh, happens on Coco Cay. Uh, Perfect Day Coco Cay with Royal Caribbean. And you see the thrill side, which you got like, you know, the tallest water slide basically, you know, in uh, North America. You've got like, you know, largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. You've got, you know, all kinds of stuff. A helium balloon that takes you several hundred feet in the air. All of that's just really cool. And then on the other side, which is probably a little bit more my speed, you have the chill side, these private floating cabanas that you can enjoy and relax and just really make the most of your vacation. This is what uh, Royal Caribbean is doing. They're really setting a new standard for the way in which you entertain yourself on board one of their ships. And some of that is a lot of these itineraries taking you to perfect day Coco K. So what an amazing time to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. So much fun here in 2022. And obviously when we recommend Royal Caribbean, we also recommend our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority because they know all about those Royal Caribbean cruise ships and how you can make the experience the best for you. Check them out online, the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com, tcava.com, or give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Let them tell you everything you have in store for you there. So we talked Jermaine Burton a good bit going to Alabama. Another dog has also found himself a new home as well. That is Latavius Breeny, who's on his way to play for Sam Pittman and Arkansas. Breeny giving you the wool pig suey and obviously the uh, the graphic there in the Arkansas jersey. And listen, it is totally true that the reaction that most Georgia fans have with Breeny going to Arkansas is different than Burton going to Alabama. I don't think anyone needs to make any kind of apology for that whatsoever. Breeny, for whatever reason, we may not ever fully know this, just kind of lost his spot there at UGA. Coach's decision. They chose late in the year to go William Poole over uh, Brini. Uh, didn't work out so well in the SEC championship game. Seemed to work out pretty well in the national championship game. Brini, who had been at Georgia since 2017, just seemed to kind of fall out of favor. He's got one more shot to play. Of course he wants to go somewhere where he feels like he's going to have a chance to play. And yes, admittedly, Georgia fans also like Sam Pittman way more than they like Nick Saban. Uh, and so therefore, going to help Pittman's the kind of thing that most Georgia fans don't really mind too much. Arkansas is not on Georgia's schedule for this upcoming season. This is, in the eyes of most Georgia fans, a safe transfer destination in a world in which, as I said off the top of the program, most fans derive entertainment from college football through the competition that Georgia has with other schools. This is the kind of thing that fans feel okay about. Burton, who was in line for a lot of playing time at Georgia next season, not going to a school that's way away from Georgia's orbit, but going to the team that Georgia played twice in the last three games of this past season, that is just going to feel different to, to most people. I don't think there's any need to apologize for that whatsoever. I also think it's interesting that we really have kind of two categories of programs that seem to utilize the portal pretty well. Obviously, in the case of Saban, it's an example of the rich getting richer, and that's you know, kind of what Nick Saban has warned us about. Kirby Smart's warned us about that a little bit too, and that's exactly what seems to be happening there in the case of Burton or Jameer Gibbs, you know, players like that going to Alabama. But there is also a category of coach who maybe doesn't have the most fertile recruiting soil to pull from, maybe inherited kind of a mess when they first took the job, and they've really utilized the portal pretty well as a way of building a roster that can be competitive. And it's ironic, I guess, 
that a couple of the guys that do that as well as anybody are actually former Georgia assistants. You know, Mel Tucker at Michigan State. The situation that Tucker inherited at East Lansing was not very favorable. And yet, last year, Michigan State was a contender for the Big Ten East because of a lot of the transfer players that the uh, program brought in. And Tucker continues to do some of that kind of stuff right now. Same thing for Pittman there, too. You know, Arkansas has certainly tried to recruit Texas over the years. It tries to get into Louisiana when it can. Arkansas is actually trying to be a little bit of a factor in the state of Georgia when it comes to recruiting under Pittman, too. But for the most part, it really can't recruit its home state very well. It's just not a very deep state for high school football talent. So if you want a competitive roster, you've got to be creative about how you put that together. And one of the areas of creativity that Pittman has shown is that ability to massage the the transfer portal to his advantage. In the case like this, obviously probably knows a little, a little bit about Latavius Perini, so you kind of bring him in there. So the reaction of Georgia fans on that is just going to be far different than, than Burton going to Alabama. By the way, speaking of Georgia fan reaction, the thing that I probably pre-Burton got the most social media messages about here this weekend was the very odd titles that Billy Napier is giving support staff guys and uh and and staffers on his new team including Chris Couch here who is the game changer coordinator working with the special teams and Reddit CFB had some fun with this saying of all the titles to give a special teams coach that certainly is one of them this is goofy it's corny it's the kind of thing that Butch Jones would have done at Tennessee that Jeff Collins would do at 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 Georgia Tech that maybe even Dan Mullen would have done a little bit of there at Florida it's just really really goofy Georgia fans are having a great time with all of this and uh you just can't expect i mean listen you just can't expect um people not to to kind of go in on something like that and for a billy napier who's supposed to be promising a little bit of return to normalcy for florida this sort of feels like some of the the corny stuff that they've been guilty of in the past i'd say be very very careful there on all of that we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of our friends at royal caribbean now let's talk georgian wide receivers here just for a moment because while I am more than happy to tell you, I think there is a recent misunderstanding of the degree to which strong wide receiver play correlates with winning at the championship level. The numbers are overwhelmingly in favor of my argument on that. And while I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about how much Georgia fans assume that throwing the ball more would even contribute to winning on this team itself, once again, I think the numbers back me up pretty strongly on that too. It is still fair to point out that, hey, it'd be kind of nice if Georgia did evolve a little bit more at the wide receiver spot. I think that Georgia's been trying to do that. I think that Georgia's seeking out the very best quarterbacks that it can get, including Arch Manning for the class of 2023. Gunnar Stockton recently arrived on campus. Guys like you know Brock Vandergriff, Carson Beck for the future, whatever else, and trying to go after those top receivers there as well. It wanted to be a player for Evan Stewart. Stewart chose to go somewhere else. Wanted to be a player for Luther Burden. Burden chose to go somewhere else. That Georgia is certainly trying to be as effective in recruiting players for the passing game as it is for the other positions. In fact, this year was a step forward in that direction because you can say, well, Brock Bauer's only a tight end. Let me ask you an honest question. How many receivers in the SEC this past season do you think were better than Bowers? Not receivers in the Georgia roster. We know none of them are. How many receivers in the SEC across the league are better than Bowers? I'd say Jamison Williams might be, maybe Traylon Burks. After that, I think that Brock Bowers may be the third best wide receiver in the SEC, maybe even second best wide receiver in the SEC, despite the fact that he's only, in the eyes of some, a, a tight end. So this season was a big step forward for Georgia when it comes to throwing the football, but for some fans, they, in a 
fair and honest way, want to see Georgia continue to evolve with that there as well. So you're going to go back to signing day, the December version of that, when Georgia brought in some receivers for the 2022 class. Kirby kind of addressed this, of what Georgia's bringing in and the challenge that Georgia has in terms of filling out all the numbers related to that position group. In light of what's happened now with Burton on the move, Justin Robinson also at Mississippi State now, let's hear Kirby Smart on the subject of wide receiver depth going back to December. Well, it starts with speed. you got to have vertical speed down the field, and we feel like we've got some guys that can really stretch the field and do that. Um, high character, you got to be able to, to, to learn. you got to be able to uh, buy into the the offense, the, the understand the splits, understand the route tree, understand all the things, the intricacies that go into playing the position. Um, and we got a really good group there. I think each one of those guys that we've been able to bring on board brings a different attribute, you know, whether it's excellent speed, excellent size, uh, quickness, toughness, all those things you look for. And um, in, in, in wide out is another position that when you look across the board, we're we're down like we were down all year not just because of injury we were just down because we had three or four leave um and now we're trying to replace all those guys and play catch up uh and that's tough to do in in our league i like to have the numbers where we kind of hit quota and you're finding out more and more now it's easier to leave than it is to get them so we got to get some more guys there i think everything that smart says there is really fair obviously as smart said you're gonna have guys even predicted that back in december that there would be an exodus from the program at that position and you got to try to find a way to replenish that stock. So will Georgia be looking to one of its 2022 signings to do some of that? I think maybe so. I saw Denial and Morissette play in person this year. I was very impressed. I saw Cole Spear play in person this year. I was very impressed. Uh, you know, think about like a Chandler Smith, who admittedly I probably learned more about more quickly at the end of the process, had to play catch up on him a little bit. You know, he seems to bring some of that speed to the table here that's probably worth paying attention to. Will Georgia also eventually look to the transfer portal for a wide receiver? I believe it probably will. You know, a couple of years ago, that worked out pretty well. Lawrence Cager, when when he was healthy coming over from Miami, had a very good season for Georgia. Very dependable wide receiver. His overall statistical performance at Miami would actually not even suggest how good he turned out to be there at UGA for the most part. So I would say eventually we see Georgia go into the transfer portal to bring in a receiver. The exodus of Burton probably even increases the likelihood that's the case. But ultimately, this conversation kind of also becomes about the guys who have been on the roster and we expect to still be on the roster for this upcoming season. And we have conversations like this. One of the things I think is really important is I think we have to be as realistic as possible. Like across the board, Georgia's not going to have a bunch of Jamar Chases emerge or you know a bunch of you know Devontae Smiths emerge. That's probably asking a lot from what Georgia currently has in its wide receiver room. But given all the guys, whether it be transfer that you add, incoming freshmen that you're bringing in, or or guys who have been here taking another step forward, is it unreasonable to say that one of those guys, from the 10 or 11 names that you could potentially add together here, could one of those guys take a major step forward and give you something similar to what Bowers gave you at the tight end position? Not totally matching those numbers, because that would frankly be very hard to do, but something approaching that. Something a little bit similar to what George Pickens did in a year in which George didn't throw the ball very well at all in 2019. Could somebody do something close to that to go along with a Bowers? And how much more effective would the Georgia passing attack be if that were the case? For the team that's already the reigning national champion, that's a way that the program could seemingly get even better. And 
you know, frankly, you look at the young guys who showed out for you in the national championship game. Obviously, A.D. Mitchell being the guy who caught the final offensive touchdown of the game. You think about guys like, as you know, uh, John Stinchcomb alluded to, uh, a Dominic Blaylock kind of coming back from injury. And, you know, the other name that comes up here for me, it's, it's one of the, the faces we showed on video there a moment ago. That the epicenter of all this conversation may be a player like Arian Smith because he is the intersection of former big-time recruit. This was a top-ten wide receiver in the country. But he also has that thing that a lot of Georgia pass-catching targets really haven't had, which is the true blazing speed. When he's healthy, he's a world-class speedster. Now, the when he's healthy part of that sentence is doing an awful lot of work. I completely acknowledge that. But, but that becomes a really interesting player for me in the upcoming season of can he healthy and can he stay healthy long enough to be a full-time participant and contributor during practice to really emerge and be the best possible version of himself? Because if he is healthy enough to be that guy, then no one really brings the speed to the table that Smith brings. We predicted good things for him before uh, a few months ago, but ultimately injury prevents that from happening. So I'm going to try to be as realistic and reasonable with all of you as I possibly can be. I think one receiver emerging from the crop of guys who will be on this roster next season is actually a pretty big step forward for a team that's already got an elite pass catching target in Brock Bowers. And I'm not going to go all in with my chips on any one player being that guy. Arian Smith does have my attention, and maybe we'll see this finally be the year that he kind of blossoms in that direction. One more quick shout-out before we let you go. How about our friends at the Finish Long Drink? You know, I love telling folks about things they don't already know about. Over the course of the last year or so, I've had a great time introducing the Finish Long Drink to people because it is – the kind of thing that's actually only been in the United States of America for a couple of years. Uh, prior to that, it was actually uh, invented, I guess, not discovered. Uh, it was created for the first time in Helsinki back in the 1950s when the summer games were there for that. And so it's been popular in Europe for a long time. Been in America now the last couple of years and in Georgia and pretty much wherever you might be, you can find the finished long drink if you know how to look for it. So the best thing I can tell you to do is go to the longdrink.com, put in your zip code there, and it'll tell you where you can pick some up. There are four different varieties. There's the traditional, which has got like a gin kick with like a grapefruit flavor to go along with that. Long drink zero, zero carbs, zero sugar. Long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Long drink cranberry, which obviously as you would assume has the nice cranberry flavor to go with the gin uh, kick on all of that. It's really good. And you can actually get an eight-can variety pack that has two different cans of each of the four long drink varieties. So please make sure you check that out, thelongdrink.com, and find out where you can pick some up today. All right, so a few golden shoes to give out today, and a lot of this in relationship to dogs and the pros doing some pretty big things all the way around, starting with the SEC Network having some fun with Matthew Stafford's win over former Wolverine Tom Brady. The SEC Network on Twitter saying Georgia just beat Michigan again. We talked last week about taking some time to appreciate the Orange Bowl. The SEC Network doing that on Twitter as the former dog, Matthew Stafford, beats the former Michigander, uh, Tom Brady. Pretty good stuff in the SEC Network. We'll give them a golden shoe. Also, Hudson Swafford. Been quite a start for the dogs on tour here in the PGA Tour so far this year. Hudson winning the American Express there in uh, Palm Springs. Also, nice photo of his family there. Great job by the former UGA golfer Hudson Swafford winning on the PGA Tour. Then, admittedly, I don't know a ton about gymnastics, but Rachel Bauman got a perfect 10 here this weekend. So, 
I am at least smart enough to know that's a very big deal. We'll give her a golden shoe there as well. So congratulations there. How about Gator Hater Updater? 4,764 days since those lousy, stinking Gators have won a national championship. What a sad drought that is. Uh, reigning national champions, the Dogs, know nothing about that. But they do know about this. 278 from days from right now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating Florida again, strutting in there as the national champs. Lousy, stinking Gators limping on home after it's all said and done. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll see you again tomorrow. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We'll take your comments here on dognation.com. By the way, uh, don't forget to check out R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They show up on time. They do the work that's promised. The price is promised. Also, um, one of the things you may be aware of is We've got a brand new book coming out, my friends at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution do, that I've been invited to be a part of. It's called Top Dogs. And I believe it started to ship out because I have heard from some people who have been able to read it thus far. My piece is there at the end of that book. And I was really proud to be included. And so I'd love for you to be a part of this there yourself. So if you don't mind going to the website, dognation.com, up at the top, there's a link that you can go to to get to Top Dogs and buy the book, Chronicling the 2021 National Championship for UGA. So please make sure uh, you check that out because not just because I'm in it, although I'm proud to be in it, but because of the great storytelling and photographs and everything else that really look back in such an appropriate way for Georgia's national championship. Seth B. Rhodes, I'll, I'll do this for Golden Shoe tomorrow. It's really funny. So he goes to the gas station and he pumps some gas uh, he, and he gets $33.18 worth of gas, obviously a reference to the national championship score. First of all, I love doing this because – I like trying to do the perfect pump thing where, you know, like you pump it and stop it right when you want it to stop. And uh, stopping right on 3318 is well done, especially if you did that on one try. Very well done there on that. Just really fun. Uh, We'll we'll show this for Golden Shoe tomorrow. Lee checks in to say, enjoyed the show this morning. He said, I'd add to your point that we need depth more than ever in college football. And what is Bama's excuse for losing two weeks ago? Their backups didn't perform. To win at any level, you need to share the ball so the next player is up and ready to perform. And yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's the overall program depth, program stability that I think, like as a college football team, I think it's your goal to make it hard to beat you. And the deeper you are across the board just makes that more likely to be true, that you're just very hard to beat. And so you don't, you, you don't want to be deficient at wide receiver play. You don't want to be deficient at the passing game, not because it's the end-all, be-all of football, the way some people assume that it is, but because that if you are excessively deficient in that one area, all of a sudden you're shining a big old light onto what it takes to beat you. you know, you're really pointing people in the direction of how to get you. And so you want to create the kind of balance with a program that that makes it hard to find that vulnerability. So Georgia continuing to prove that is important, but it would also be important for Alabama. I said this on the video show a moment ago. You know, Bama loses John Metchie, Jameson Williams. They just crumble. They just completely crumble. They scored, as uh, our commenter mentioned a moment ago, just 18 points. Uh, that's less than half of Alabama's per-season average but yet in the national title game without the two receivers, they were just nowhere to be found offensively. That's not what Alabama used to be. You know, I gave you that stat during the regular show. In the days in which Alabama was scoring 35, 36, 37, 38 points per game, they were running the football, they were playing defense. They were just strong across the board. 
in 2021, Alabama's become the kind of fragile program where injury to quarterback changes everything. Injury to wide receivers changes everything. And these are players who are of a smaller stature than players in other positions. They are more susceptible to injury. So, you know, for some reason, people seem to gravitate towards Alabama because they perceive it to be more fun. But as we've tried to say over and over again, it is not necessarily a recipe for more success. Um, Scott says that he disagrees with my assessment of the Burton situation. He says that Kirby Smart could have intervened and kept him in Athens. If you're going to recruit wide receivers, you need to use them. Distribute the ball to the open receiver. Burton did what was best for him. Good for him. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, I don't think anybody disputes that Burton did what he thinks was best for him. But, yeah, the average Georgia fan is not going to just stand on the sidelines and just say, good for you, no matter what you do. Now, hopefully, no one's trashing Burton. No one's making this personal or anything like that. I find that to be pretty distasteful. But I also don't see some sort of obligation to pretend that it's good and fine and, you know, hunky-dory, if you will, when a guy, you know, leaves your program to go to your arch nemesis that's not going to be well received by the average Georgia fan who just simply cares more about Georgia football than the pro prospects of a guy like Burton this is not a feeder system for the NFL when college football becomes that it will become less popular people don't like minor league sports and this would be you know kind of an example of that and also if Kirby Smart were to reconfigure his leadership style to placate receivers such as Burton, Georgia would be an inferior program because of that. And I think that that's not the step that Georgia needs to take, that that what Georgia needs is not to figure out how to make the program work for players, but to figure out players who make the program work better. That, that's ultimately what college football is all about. And the college football players who go through systems like that will be better men on the other side because of that. That's sort of an old-fashioned notion, I guess, but it's still probably <laughs> – the best way for all of this to be handled nonetheless good conversation and i appreciate all of you being a part of it make sure you check us out tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by pella window and door of georgia and of course our rs andrews cool down after that hope you all have a great day everybody